This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome to At The Turn. I am Joe. Nick is joining me in Hawaii. Cup of coffee in hand. How are you, Nick? Great, Joe. What's going on? Well, a lot. Let's just get right to it. Here's what's coming up on today's show. A celebrity drove a golf cart all over a green. Apparently, this happens a lot. Tiger and Phil are both in the news. And we asked the question, can it ever be too hot to play golf? But, Nick, we start with a tradition that is unlike any other. Joe, I'm excited for this, and I'm really jealous. You you told me you got your email from the Masters? That's right. I received and, an email... Uh, it is, it is from masters.tournament at augustanational.com, which oh, is... That's the, probably not a good sign. No, what, how is that not a good sign? That is from Jim Nance himself, I assume. Don't you think if it was if it was like, hey, you won tickets, then it would be from, I don't know, the chairman of Augusta or the chairman of the Masters. Like, it would be from a person's name, like Bob Smith or whatever. <laughs> I suppose. So I got this email. I'm going to I'm gonna read it on the show right now. It is entitled 2018 Masters Tickets Random Selection. Okay, yeah. We need to just let our fans know if, in case they missed episode yes. two. Uh, so you can apply for Masters tickets online during the month of May for the next season. And Joe did this because he's on top of his stuff and he's organized. <laughs> I did not because I'm not, so I'm very jealous right now. Joe is basically going to find out right now if he's going to be attending the Masters in 2018. So here we go. This is from the email. We have completed the random selection process for 2018 practice round tickets and daily tournament tickets and regret your application was not selected for tickets. Be does sure it really to visit, say that? It, it does. Be sure to visit Masters.com for up-to-date Masters information. As a reminder, you will be notified next May when the ticket application process begins for the 2019 Masters, thank you for your continued interest in the Masters. Sincerely, Credentials Committee, Masters Tournament. Nick, I wait another year. 
that I think it's pretty cliche that they say, well, we regret to inform you. you yeah. Will not be I mean, come on. Give me something a little more, Augusta. I'm not surprised. It was fun. It was like holding a lottery ticket that you haven't checked the numbers for a few days. So at least I had that. But uh, there's always there's always next year, I suppose. Nick, yeah, the dream is dead. Well, we're going to move on to Tiger. Um, I'm sure everybody's been following the Tiger saga. He had a DUI a few weeks ago. Lots of medications in his system. He released a statement today. Not today, rather. Um, earlier in the week, a little while ago. And it, it was short and sweet, but here it is. From Tiger. I'm currently receiving professional help to manage my medications in the ways that I deal with back pain and a sleep disorder. I want to thank everyone for the amazing outpouring of support and understanding, especially the fans and players on tour. So that's from Tiger Woods. There's been a lot of players that have come out and really supported Tiger, which has been nice to see, a lot of respect for him. And this is sort of unprecedented uh, in sports. I mean, I guess aside from Brett Favre, an athlete of this level admitting to issues with medication, Nick. Yeah, it's it's kind of surprising because I think, think that Tiger could have kind of brushed this under the rug. He's not playing right now. He's not in the spotlight. So if he doesn't want to be in the news, he doesn't have to be in the news. Maybe it's the kind of thing where he figures people are going to get onto him that he's in rehab or something of that, something like that. And so he wants to kind of make the announcement and say it ahead of time. But um, yeah, normally you, you don't see this kind of thing for painkillers. So, um, you know, it is, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of scary for Tiger. This is this is not something to be messed with. So, uh, I think everybody's hoping he can make a recovery, for sure. What do you What do you think? Well, I think it's a great sign. Tiger, like you said, a lot of times brushes things under the rug. Whenever he was talked about, or asked about nagging injuries, he would sort of deflect the question, say he was doing okay, say that he was working to a return on tour. And this has been going on for close to a decade now, since 2008 when he won the U.S. Open on a broken leg. So I think it's good that Tiger has hit sort of this, you know, rock bottomish area in regards to the drugs in this situation. So now that he can kind of put his best foot forward, start turning things around, and hopefully get to a point where he can manage his pain and his sleep issues with a limited amount of medication – uh, because when you have as many surgeries as Tiger has, I can't imagine he's going to get to a point where he's going to be medication-free. The guy's got to be in a lot of pain, and he really has to get that under control in order to play professional golf again. You know, you look at someone like Fred Couples, who has one of the best swings in the game. He's in his late 50s now, and he's had chronic back issues basically the last 20, 25 years of his career and has still been able to play at a high level. So maybe Tiger needs... Counseling from doctors, obviously, drug experts. But there are players out there who have managed chronic pain and done so successfully. I just hope that Tiger can get to a point where he's able to do that, get his personal life turned around, and then hopefully translate that into being able to compete in golf again. Because it's been four years since he's been a competitive golfer on the PGA Tour. Yeah, it has. You brought up a good point, and I... I'm really curious about this because, like you said, he's never going to be pain-free. His body is probably too far damaged to ever just function properly, you know, without without pain. Um, so how do you balance that? Not that you have the answer to this, but I think that's the question that Tiger needs to figure out is how do you balance 
something that you're trying to rid your life of that you also need on a regular basis. I mean, it's one thing if it's recreational drugs or if it's alcoholism where, you know, you can just say, okay, I need to stay away from this completely. But Tiger has to, he's probably going to have to rely on, on some sorts of pills, some amount of, of painkillers just to, you know, not be in pain all the time. So, so I think that's the thing is, is finding the balance of, of what's, what he needs and what's excessive in addicting. So, um, I mean, best of luck to Tiger in finding that balance, but um, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be tricky. Speaking of drugs and the PGA Tour, uh, an announcement from the PGA Tour recently, they have revisions to its anti-doping program, which is going to take effect with the start of the 2017-2018 PGA Tour season. So on the PGA Tour, they start in the fall and finish in, I guess, late summer. So coming up in a few months, they're going to have an anti-doping program. Basically, the change to it, this already exists, but the big change to it is that they're going to do blood testing. So the same sorts of testing perhaps you see in professional cycling or other sports. The other big thing about it, this announcement, is they're also going to make public announcements when players are suspended for recreational drug violations. So we've talked about this in previous episodes. Dustin Johnson took a leave of absence from the PGA Tour for six months. Um, It was pretty well known that that was an actual suspension for recreational drugs. And there was a lot of snide remarks on the Internet after this came out about, oh, we're going to see a lot less players with back injuries from lifting their (laughs) jet skis and a lot lot less players are going to be out with cutting themselves on a knife or boxing injuries because the speculation is those sorts of injuries were actually drug suspensions and the tour wasn't announcing it trying to protect their clean image. Nick, what do you think of this? Um, I think there's going to be a big spike that first year or two of people getting suspended for recreational drugs. I mean, a spike, obviously... None, none are being reported right now, but I think there's going to be. I don't think it's going to deter people for the first little bit, and I think you and I both know there's at least a lot of speculation of a lot of recreational drugs on tour, and so I think at first it's going to kind of be a little bit of shock to the system with the names that we see attached to these suspensions, and then I think after a couple of years, people are going to figure out they don't want their name associated with this. And, um, you know, maybe that'll start to, to dwindle the problem down. But um, I'm kind of interested to see whose image doesn't quite match what's actually happening behind the scenes. Just the, just the gossip part of me, you know. I'm not rooting for anybody to have anything bad happen, but um, I'm interested to see. Well, this reminds me of a story that I believe it was Robert Garrigus, who is a PGA Tour player. He used to play on the web.com tour and he admitted to during web.com tour events going into porta potties and smoking marijuana during tour events and he said he wasn't the only person that does that and look when you have that much money you travel that much you have these young good-looking insanely rich 20 year olds they're gonna have access to a lot of things that the general public doesn't have access to and as a result the temptation is very high so i agree a lot of these guys have a squeaky clean image it'll be interesting to see how many of them actually match the public persona that is put out there yeah and i also think on the uh on the blood testing thing i don't know if they're going to release it doesn't sound like they're going to release the names or announce suspensions for people who 
are suspended for performance-enhancing drugs. But um, I think there will be a lot of, oh, I didn't know it was illegal kind of thing going on. You know what I mean? Or I didn't know I was taking that. So Kind of like there's another other, sports. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, my, I just took what my nutritionist gave me, you know, and, and kind of not accept accountability for that stuff. So we'll see. But like I said, I don't think they're going to announce. doesn't sound like they're going to announce suspensions for that or, or penalties for that. So they might not have to own up to it or deny it, basically. Well, Nick, that's enough about drugs and sad stories. Let's get to <laughs> a very beautiful story that is sort of bittersweet. So I'm just going to read this story from the Associated Press. It's pretty short, but it's beautiful. So here we go. The elderly golf fan who died while attending the U.S. Open in Wisconsin had lost his wife of 68 years earlier in the week. It's a nice story. Stick with me. 94-year-old Marshall Chick Jacobs died in the arms of his son, Bill, after becoming unresponsive at the sixth green. Just three days earlier, Lucille Jacobs died after experiencing complications from a broken hip. Bill Jacobs recalled that when his father made plans to go to the tournament when it was awarded to Aaron Hills back in 2010... He remarked that he hoped he would be alive to attend it. Jacobs told the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel he and his dad spent three hours of bliss Friday watching the game's greatest players. Family members say the couple loved golf and traveled the country playing in couples leagues. They had a joint funeral a few weeks ago. Nick, I mean, that's just that's just a beautiful story. You literally die watching and participating in the thing you love the most, I can't imagine a better way to go. No, I mean, death is inevitable. You know, nobody can escape it. So, you you, you know, you got to go when it's your time. Um, just, he was 94 years old. I mean, lived a full life. He was married to the love of his life for 68 years. Only had to spend three days without her. Had a joint funeral with her. I mean, death is a sad thing. And, you know, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's unavoidable. But it doesn't always have to be... Um, something that's looked at as a negative. I mean, not that it's a positive, but this was this is an incredible story. So yeah, it's it's um, that that's got to be pretty cool for the family. If you have to lose both of your parents or, or you know members of your family, that's that's a pretty cool way to to have them honored. I would say from a relationship that lasted a lifetime to one we thought was going to last a lifetime. Phil Mickelson and his caddy, affectionately known as Bones, break up after a quarter century together. They both released joint statements after it happened. It kind of just felt like a celebrity couple was breaking up. They both talk about the split was amicable and they got out ahead of it. Uh, what, what, what is your initial takeaway, Nick? Uh, shock. I could not believe it when I saw this. Um in why that's just the question is why I mean Phil and Bones like I just don't it just doesn't add up to me I mean you know my and then my first question to you was let the speculation begin which actually isn't a question but <laughs> what what happened what went wrong is there something I mean why would they come out and say they this this was a joint breakup like why wouldn't they just say that Bones is moving on or you know what I mean like. It well, just seems fishy, and I just, I just hate it, Joe. I just hate it. Well, Phil, Phil's my guy. I love Phil, and he was on the David Faraday talk show a few months back, and there was a whole segment of the program dedicated to his relationship with his caddy. It was very publicly known how good of friends they were, what a good working relationship they had. So 
I interpret the joint statement as putting to rest that there was any sort of like episode or weird event that led to the breakup. I guess. Look, Phil. Phil hasn't won a tournament in four years. That's a long time. That's the longest streak of his career since he became a professional. And I just think he needed a change. I don't think that there was any sort of big thing that happened or they're not friends anymore. I just think Phil needed a change. And look, Phil's 47 years old. It's not like he's going to be playing the regular tour for a long time. So perhaps also Bones is planning for his future. There's been a lot of speculation that he's going to go to the broadcast booth or he's going to caddy for someone else. But that's an unusual so length of time. you think it's golf-related? Do I think it's golf-related? I do. Yeah. I think that Phil is at one in four years. That thought, that thought didn't even cross my mind. Really? That it's golf related. Yeah, no. Um, I don't know. I just figured it just it just seemed fishy to me. Like, I don't know. Bone I mean, who's Phil gonna get that's better than Bones that knows what he needs better than Bones? Like, I don't know. I just I can see if Bones I, I heard some speculation that maybe his knees are are kind of shot and maybe he's done, but if that's the case, it wouldn't it seem like you would just say, Hey, Bones career as a caddy is over, you know? So I don't know. I, I, I never got the sense it was golf-related. I don't think that – I mean, okay, maybe Phil hasn't won in four years, but how much of that are you really putting on your caddy? I mean, it's not like Phil's Lydia Co. where he's just firing caddies because he's not winning. I mean um, – So what do you think happened then if you don't think it's golf-related? Do you have any theories? Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe there was some sort of – Something maybe with his brother on the John Rahm management and maybe like positioning themselves, their kind of family business. Because his brother, isn't his brother the the agent for John Rahm and now he's going to be Phil's caddy? Yeah, John uh, Rahm, the hot young player on tour this year. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's some positioning of the family business that's kind of strategic. Um, maybe there was an incident. I mean, I'm not going to rule that out. It's just weird. Like, our, I, I just can't imagine Phil and Bones not being best friends and going to get a beer, you know, on the weekends. But I don't know. It just seems weird to me that Phil would would think he's going to be more successful with a different caddy. I just, I don't know. I mean, there's they're so intricate. And Phil, I mean, if you watch that Faraday episode, he's so detail-oriented. Like, I don't, I mean, obviously his brother knows his routine too. But it's not like you can just replace that with any regular caddy. I mean, Bones knows the routines. He knows... He remembers putts that Phil hit 10 years ago, so when he goes back to that course, he can tell him which way it breaks. You know, just really detailed things like that that I don't think he can just replace. So it's surprise- it would be surprising to me if it's golf-related, but I don't know. I don't have – I should have cooked off some really good conspiracy theories, Joe, but I didn't do my homework on this one. Nick, Nick suspects foul play, though. That's my biggest takeaway, and I guess only yeah, time will yeah. tell. So we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk about the President of the United States and his week on the golf course right after this. If you've been listening this long into the episode of At The Turn, obviously you love us. You should therefore go and rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher, which, breaking news, Stitcher is now the new best place to listen to At The Turn. Share it, rate, review rave all those things don't forget to follow us on facebook as joe loves to point out www.facebook.com slash at the turn um and just just love us all over the internet something nick does frequently and i do from time to time is head to the golf course as a single 
try to pair up with people, perhaps play on our own. Well, Nick, what do you do? Do you usually pair up with people? Do you try to play by yourself when you're a single? Well, it's just kind of at the mercy of of the course and how crowded it is. Yeah, you know, you just show up and they just tell you what you're going to do. Um, I used to, I used to kind of get, not anxiety, but I always preferred to play by myself. You know, they put you with somebody else, you kind of get nervous. Like, what are they going to think? What if they're, what if they're really good? What if they're really bad? You know, but now you just, you can't really control that. If the course is busy, then they're going to pair you with somebody. If it's not, then they're not. Um, yeah, but I, I play the last three years because I've been moving around a lot. Um, I don't have like a, a good group of golfing buddies. I just show up to a course and say, hey, can I can I go tee off? And then whatever happens, happens. So who are, like, if you were to police sketch out your ideal strangers to play with from just spending time with people for four hours from the perspective of how good you're going to play, who are your ideal strangers? What are their personality types? Um... Probably not somebody who who wants to get to know me really well. <laughs> Sometimes you play with people and they're like, "So, what do you do? Oh, oh, you do this. Do you know this person? Oh, you're from here." And they just like constantly interviewing you, and that's that's cool. That's that's cool, but it's not it's not always the the best for focusing on your round of golf. So somebody who just knows when to you know talk and knows when to shut up, I would definitely say is big. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 tough because. Do you like playing with somebody really who's better choose. than you? Um, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that usually happens just by default. <laughs> it's hard to find people who are worse than me sometimes. But I like playing with somebody who isn't just flushing every shot. You know what I mean? To show their human out there a little bit, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't really have a preference on that. You know, I'm pretty laid back. I don't. I know it's something that I can't control, so I don't really concern myself too much over, you know, what they're doing. Um, as long as they're not obnoxious. I don't know. What about you? You said you do this every once in a while. What what situation do you find yourself in where you're just like, okay, I'm going to go play by myself? It's a lot less frequent now than it used to be. When I was a kid... Because you live where you grew up, so you have like an established... You know what I mean? You have a lot of golfing buddies and a lot of friends in the area, I assume. I do. I have I have a lot of people I can ask in Portland, and I usually do. Uh, I have played by myself a couple times recently, and when I was really young, when I was first learning the game, 12, 13 years old, my mom, because uh, she grew up playing golf, that's how she met my dad, was on a golf course, and her big thing was there was a whole summer where like two, three days a week, she would just drop me off at the golf course, and I'd have to just go by myself and pair up with people, and it was the best thing for me and getting comfortable in a golf course and learning to talk to adults in a very comfortable way. And it was just a great experience for me. I have two stories from those times when I was 12, 13 years old. So one time uh, I was playing with a guy. It was just me and, you know, 50-year-old dude, kind of hippie-ish, very casual, very nice round of golf. We make the turn. We're heading off the 10th green, and you're kind of – Back in the golf course at that point, you're very isolated. I'll never forget this. He pulls out an Altoid box, and just like the dude from the Big Lebowski basically says, do you mind if I do a J? And I'm just, like, scared, 12, 13-year-old, like, yeah, no, you're fine. Go ahead. And he starts 
puffing away, and he offered it to me a couple times, and mom, dad, <laughs> I did say no. I said no to him, and it was just... Who offers a 12-year-old a joint? I Yeah, that's a great question, and you know how young I look. Imagine how I looked at 12 years old. <laughs> Oh my god! So that will always stick with me. The other one, yeah, was, I'll bet. <laughs> so the, the other one is uh, Glendiver Golf Course, which is where I grew up, um, learning to play the game. It's right near a retirement community. It's basically all throughout the city streets. There's retirement communities, so you get a lot of old folks out there, and they usually play pretty early. And there was one round. I'd play with three sweet ladies, very very nice. They were driving carts, and we were on the 15th, 16th hole at that point. And I was walking, and they were driving a cart, and uh, one of them wanted me to drive the cart over to them because their ball was in a tree and they were far away from their clubs and it was just more convenient for me to take the cart to them. It was that sort of situation. So I get behind the wheel. I start driving. and again, Mind you, I'm 12, 13 years old. I've, I've driven a golf cart maybe once or twice. I lose control of the cart. I slam it <laughs> into the front of a tree. And that was the last time I drove the cart that day. <laughs> wow. Wow, that must have been embarrassing. <laughs> it was, but I guess the moral of the story is I really liked playing golf as a youngster alone because it taught me to be with different kinds of people. It made me very comfortable on the golf course. I didn't have the same amount of nerves as I used to prior to that. Uh, I just think it's a good experience, and now I really like it too because you can meet a bunch of different people um, but from that adult perspective, is really nice. So, But I do agree with yeah. you. I want to stay away from the chatty Cathy's. Let's just play golf, and we can talk as we're walking to our shots, not where we're standing on the tee box when it's time to hit. Exactly. Um, in your story, it reminded me of, of another thing, and not to drag this out, but uh, recently I went to a golf course. It's super busy, so I got paired up with three other guys, which is no surprise. The guy comes up to me and he goes, I'm 87 years old. And I'm the youngest of the three guys out here. It was like 87, 93, and 94. And they would just, it was so fun. They just hit driver every shot until they got on the green. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they just loved it. And uh, they said they come out and play three times a week. And I was just like, wow, this is the coolest thing. And in 60 years, I hope I'm doing exactly what these guys are doing. So that was actually really fun uh, for a group of strangers. That is very cool. It's, it's, it's nice to, to meet all different kinds of people out there, and you get to do that when you play alone. Well, Nick, I, I am heading out on the golf course later today. We're recording this on a Sunday morning, and the weather in Portland. I just want to throw a shout-out to At yeah. The Turn for recording at 6.30 a.m. Hawaiian time so both of us can play golf today because it would be a shame to miss <laughs> playing golf because we're doing a golf podcast. It's June. we got to get out there, baby. Now's the time. <laughs> got to play. Yeah, so anyways, so, carry on. No, no, yeah. So uh, I, am, I am playing today, and it is supposed to be 101 degrees. So that kind of got me thinking. I don't really mind playing golf in hot weather. I got the sunscreen on. I froze a gallon of water the day before. Got a cooler in the car full of ice. Uh, my boys that are going out there with me, we're going to have some squirt guns. Going to be a great time. <laughs> I actually love hot weather golf because it usually thins the herd, goes a lot quicker, discourages people from coming out on the golf course. But we were talking about this just before the show started, Nick how hot it's been in the Southwest the last few days. In Arizona, it was 118 degrees earlier in the week, and that's a bit above what I'm comfortable with stepping out of the house, let alone being outside for four and a half hours. Yeah. Um, 
I know you like to play with your shirt off, so that probably uh, <laughs> invites you to play in the hot weather a little bit more. But I mean, it can be too. It can be uncomfortably hot, but it takes a lot to keep me away from the golf course. And I think what you said is the biggest thing: is it thins the herd. When there's bad weather, that means there's good golf because you can get out there, you can play at your own pace. You're not stuck behind somebody. You know, it's not just crowded with with fair weather golfers so that's the biggest draw for me about bad weather golf whether it's rain or cold weather or intense heat whatever it is i kind of i kind of thrive in those situations i do too so you bring up the shirtless golf and i have been known to do that a time or two until the starter gets fed up to a point where he threatens to throw me off the course unless i put a shirt on (laughs) at which point i do um so I've had this idea that's been kicking around my head. And you know how I, – I don't know if they have this out in Hawaii, but here in Portland, soccer is a, is a pretty big deal. And so a lot of golf courses have taken up foot golf. So foot golf is essentially soccer for golf. It's the same concept. The hole's a little bigger. Instead of, you know, your clubs, you have a soccer ball, and you try to kick it into the hole – and the holes are adjacent to the golf holes, and you can book a foot golf tee time like you can a regular tee time for traditional golf. I think that golf courses are missing a big revenue stream. I'm not talking about all the time, but like two, three hours a week, you look at the forecast, you know it's going to be 100 degrees, you offer shirtless golf. You come on the course, <laughs> you take the shirt off, you book a shirtless golf tee time. Maybe you charge five bucks more. I'd be all over it. <laughs> I think more, it'd be great. You pay more? You pay more, yeah, because you get oh. the privilege of playing without your shirt on. It's so freeing. That's the worst idea I've ever heard in my entire life. It's that bad? <laughs> yes. Well, okay, First of all, tell me why. no golf course is going to associate that with their image. Golf courses, even, even the, the blue-collar golf courses have some degree of respect. No, that that contradicts everything that goes along with the culture of golf, first of all. And I get it. It doesn't bother me particularly. Like, if somebody plays out their shirt in a, in a group next to me, I really don't care. I think they're kind of um, less classy, but that's fine. It doesn't bother me. But if somebody in my group is playing without a shirt, it does bother me because it reflects poorly on me. Wow. So, yeah. Joe, I'm going to be honest. I'm, wow. I've played with my shirt. I'm kind of calling you out. <laughs> you are. I've done this with you at least a half dozen times. You really feel like it reflects poorly on you if my shirt is off playing golf? I do. And I'm not trying to be, like, snobby no, about it. but it's coming off that, that way. Is that too far-fetched? No, it's definitely not. I mean, I know I'm in the minority on this because <laughs> I've seen people with their shirt off playing golf hey, only Joe, a handful of times. Next time you want to play golf without a shirt on and you want to pay extra to do it, you can just pay me directly and I'll use that money for a nice big cold beer afterwards <laughs> to alleviate all the pain I had to suffer for four hours of playing golf with you without a shirt. Okay, so for those at the turn <laughs> listeners that want to come play on my shirtless golf course, Nick is not invited. <laughs> And we're going to have a great time, and we're not going to have tan lines either, so we can look forward to that. Um, yeah, sometimes I do the thing where I roll up my sleeves if I know I'm getting like a nice good tan on the lower part of my arms, but the, the upper is getting uh, nice and pasty. I'll kind of roll up the sleeves for a few minutes, so that's not a good look either, but you know, at least uh, I'm wearing a shirt. Speaking of, at least I'm wearing a shirt. Speaking of golf etiquette and not following it, finally today on At The Turn, the President of the United States made waves this week, and we're not talking about politics. We're not going to talk about any sort of politics related to Trump 
But he did do something that made a lot of golfers mad. There is a video of President Trump driving a golf cart all over a green. Like, not like near the green. He's driving the golf cart on the green. So there's someone putting from like 20 feet away, and the president is just driving a golf cart on the green. This is far from an isolated incident. I saw an article that had pictures of him doing this in other situations. Now, he is doing this on his golf courses. So it's not like he's going to St. Andrews and doing this. He's doing it on golf courses that have his name on the golf courses. So if you own a golf course, I suppose you get to do whatever you want. However, the golf course that he was caught on most recently is hosting the U.S. Women's Open in a couple of weeks, and he's doing that on the greens. That's what I have a big issue with, Nick. I mean, I have an issue with the whole thing in general. Um, I get that it's his golf course, but it's it's not in his backyard. It's not on in his house. You know what I mean? Like people are other people are playing this course. I think it's just out of respect for the people who are playing the course that you wouldn't do it whether you own it or not. Um, and also, this person should be a role model for other people. So whether it's his course or not, people are going to see this and think that it's okay when clearly it's not okay. So it's not just the fact that the U.S. Open is going to be there. Uh, it's just it's the precedent. And also, yeah, now you're you're basically telling all these women that their that their U.S. Open is not important. You know, your your convenience is more important than than the quality of of the course for their tournament. So I think it sends all sorts of wrong messages. So this this guy is thinking, what is the worst offense you've committed on a golf course? I haven't done anything really egregious. I'm not a club thrower. I get a little mad sometimes, uh, but I never do anything to damage the course or carry on too much. One thing that I don't do that I wish I did more of is filling divots in the fairway with sand. I never think to do that, Nick. Yeah, I'm almost always walking. So those times where I am in a cart that has, has the sand fill right there, I don't usually think about it. And then, uh, you know, there's sometimes where the same thing, I'll, I'll hit a shot and then like my partner will <laughs> grab, the, grab the sand and go fill my divot. I'm like, oh, shoot, I should have done that. <laughs> um, one time I, so I grew up in Idaho when I was first learning to play golf. I was in Idaho and this might surprise a lot of people, but there's about 40 minutes south of where I lived, there's a town called Lewiston that's in a valley that doesn't get a lot of snow in the winters. So the golf courses are pretty much open year round. So I was playing some like January golf and I was just learning and I was playing this course for the first time and I didn't know my way around it. So I was driving a cart, which I also don't do very often. And I kind of was trying to find my way to this tee box and I didn't know the right way to get there. Anyways, long story short, I ended up on the tee box with the golf cart (laughs) and, um, and I teed off and then we, whatever. And this guy comes up to me from an old man, you know, these old guys play this course every single day of the year, comes up to me. You don't park on the tee box. Like, oh, okay. okay, dude, won't happen again. <laughs> Those old men, old men on golf courses love to enforce rules so, yeah. so much, especially when a young person commits the infraction. Yeah. So, anyways, that was my probably worst offense, but it wasn't that bad. Well, so. I would. We're, I, we're good people in general. I I think so. I I would ask you your biggest pet peeve etiquette wise in the golf course, but I feel like I learned that about five minutes ago. So, um, <laughs> folks, yeah. if you're if you're gonna play golf with Heidelberger, keep your darn shirt on because he's 
He doesn't want to see your pasty white flesh. He wants respect. He wants you to honor the game. And you just need to keep your shirt on. Yeah, I'm silently judging you. <laughs> well, Nick, Nick, that's all we have. Uh, yeah, the dogs are back in the house, Joe. So we're going to have to uh, cut this one off. <laughs> that means it's time to go. Nick, enjoy golfing with your wife today. Uh, good luck. I have extra sunscreen for myself, so hopefully I'll survive the day. And uh, we'll talk to all of you next time at the turn. Yep. And post. And Joe's going to post a picture of himself shirtless on the golf course today, so make sure you follow <laughs> us on Twitter and Facebook so you can catch that. <laughs> Feast your eyes. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time at the turn.